What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hey, hi, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with one of my awesome co-hosts, Mo DeKeel. Before we get started today, we have the usual housekeeping notes. First and foremost, if you're not following the show yet, please start doing so on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox, spelled exactly as it sounds. You should also be following Mo on Twitter. He is at Mo DeKeel underscore MBA. That's at M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore MBA. I can be found at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Andy can be found at Andrew D. Bailey. If you're not following Blue Wire Pods on Twitter yet, be sure to do that, at Blue Wire Pods. Uh, we have a bunch of great stuff coming out at the, at, over at the Podcast Network. Really, we've just cornered the market on NFL and NBA and, and draft content in general, so be sure to check out some of the other fine shows over there if you have not done so already. Lastly, the show is brought to you by Harry's Razors. If you go to harrysrazors.com slash bluewire, you will be able to get a free trial set, a $13 value for $0. It'll cost you only $3 in U.S. shipping. We all love Harry's over here, so be sure to go over there and check that out as well. And with all that now done, though, we asked the question that everyone loves to know the answer to. Mo, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I just this morning shaved with a Harry's razor. So How was it? It was fantastic. It was. I'm never going back. I'm. I'm a Harry's guy. Look at that. You heard it here first. So Harry's.com/slash Blue Wire. We're gonna do a mailbag today. Uh, you were all kind enough to throw. Well, not all of you, but a bunch of you were kind enough to throw questions our way. Uh, these are fun because they're off the cuff, and it, it allows me to put Mo on the spot, even though I'm sort of seeing many, I'm doing it off the cuff as well. But Mo has had even less preparation than I have. So, so Mo, are, are you ready? Yes, and for the listeners, I have not even seen a single question. It's early in the morning here in L.A. I've literally have gotten up, worked out, showered, on the pod, ready to roll. That's dedication. So, eh. It's, it's it's not that early. it's not that early it's eight a.m. But <laughs> uh, I mean eight a.m. is a little early. Yeah. I like to be an early riser, but I think if you've already worked out and you're recording a podcast at eight in the morning, uh, that's impressive. Hey, I, I like to get stuff done and out of the way. And in the off season, I'm going to goof off a lot during the day. So uh, that's my goal, at least. I'm with you. So our first question, I'm going to go with from. <laughs> Hey, how are you? It's at I'm quite all right. Who is your pick for the NBA scoring champion next year as of right now? Oh, that's a good question. So it's it's funny because you know AD's probably not gonna get a ton of shots. He's gonna be sharing with with LeBron. Russ and Harden, they're gonna be sharing the spotlight a little bit. Uh Harden won it last year, right? Yes. God, this is a good question. Right off the bat, you're hitting me with one that I'm like, uh, I don't know. What do you think about Giannis? Uh, yeah, but you know what? He's he's got to have that three point shot. I think that really helps. I'm I'm gonna say, despite sharing the ball with with Westbrook, I still think Harden is gonna do it. Um, I think Harden's gonna be the back to back scoring champion. I mean, he has a bit of a cushion. Didn't he win it by like six points per game? this year anyway so he can he can drop off a little bit and still be inside that mix yeah i think so i mean so i i, I think he'll be all right i just don't see i think the areas where Giannis has got to improve i don't think are going to massively give a scoring jump for him i think it's 
his passing. I mean, obviously shooting threes will, will, will help him, but I don't think that's going to happen overnight. And, and we're going to come into next season, seeing him in like 37, 38% from three. So I think the, the money, the good money right now is still on Harden. He actually won the scoring title last year by 8.1 points per game. Paul George was second at 28. Harden had 36.1. Giannis was third at 27.7. Embiid was fourth at 27.5. And LeBron was fifth at 27.4. You know who might be a sneaky pick in this discussion, though? Stephen Curry. Just because you lose Durant, don't have Thompson. I know you have D'Angelo Russell, but that 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 team isn't really brimming with other from-scratch scorers. That's actually a really good call, Dan. I totally forgot about that whole situation there. That is the guy who's going to get a ton of shots. And even with uh, D'Angelo there, it's not going to make that big of a difference. He's he's going to jack up a ton of shots. Might get a little harder because defenses can mm-hmm. you know, concentrate on him. Might make things a little bit more difficult. But if he gets high, you know there's no stopping him. Uh, someone else who might be interesting, just if he's going to continue to play the minutes that he did, Bradley Beal on the Wizards was 12th last year. So he'd need quite a jump. But if you look at that roster without John Wall right now, there's a, there's not much else other than him. I guess we could, if you get to the point where, well, if Wall does end up coming back mid season, that changes that. Also, I don't think Bradley Beal will log over 3000 minutes next year. Here's hoping he does not. That team doesn't seem like it'll be worth expending that much energy on, but just I'm trying to look at like these sort of lone wolf stars at the moment, and and he sort of stands out. It's kind of like in college, like those are the guys that end up leading the country and scoring most of the times. So it's the dude who went to the small college, but is clearly too good for that college and, and that conference, and ends up just wreaking havoc. So that's probably the best strategy. I don't, I'm not going to put any money on Beal just because I just don't see it. Uh, I don't think he's. As good as he is, and I think he's a great player, I just don't see him as that dynamic of a scorer. And I could be wrong, but I just don't see it from him. This question comes from Adam Frommel at Frommel09. <laughs> Which All-NBA teams do you think Trey Young and John Collins will make next year? None. Yeah, that's a tough <laughs> sell. Clearly a joke question, too. Who, would, yeah. If you had to pick, which one would have the best chance at making an All-NBA team next year? If because just they do positions, it'd probably be John Collins. You know, like Trey Young's got a lot of guards he's got to beat out before right. he get there. I mean, we're talking about you're saying if Trey Young is going to make an All NBA team, you're saying he's one of the top six guards in the NBA, and he's not ready for that yet. Like there's still a while to go. And when you say okay, he's going to be one of the top six guards, cool. Who's who's dropping off that list? You know, Clay Thompson didn't even make that list last year. You know, there's a lot of challenges there. So I say just because there's always a hard time in the center position, and I, and I don't think Collins is going to make it either, but just there's a higher probability for him, I think, to make it there than it is the uh, than it is for Trey Young to make it as a top six guard. And I know I'm saying that Collins is going to be a top three center if he does make it, but I think that's a bet. I think that's more likely than saying Trey Young's a top six guard. Oh, for sure. I just the depth at the guard position. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, just even in the West. I mean, the pure fact that Mike Conley hasn't made an All Star team ever is saying something of just how deep that conference is in point guards. The other thing too with John Collins is that he, I guess, actually has to play most of his time at center this season, and I guess that's where he's going to end up after they lose Dwayne Dedman in Atlanta and then don't really re- replace him. I know they have. Bruno Fernandez and Damian Jones now. They still have Alex Lynn, but the big addition was really Jabari Parker, and he's not going to play real time at the five. Yeah, no, if you're playing him at the five, it's... uh, You have a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This question comes from Miroslav at MCUKMF. Whose Vegas MVP odds do you see as the most interesting to bet on? And I'm not sure if you saw the latest odds for the MVP race, but I do have them pulled up right here. Uh, Giannis is a plus 300 to repeat. Steph is plus 500. James Harden is plus 700. Kawhi is plus 800. LeBron is plus 900. Anthony Davis is plus 1,000. Embiid is plus 1,200. Doncic and Jokic are plus 1,600. 
Carl Anthony Towns is plus 2,000. And if you have any other names that stand out, I could probably get you their odds as well if you have a different pick for MVP. The, I would say the dark horse, there's two, I would say. Embiid's, I like Embiid's number there just because they're going to be one of the best teams in the East. There's Without Jimmy Butler, I, I almost expect his scoring to go up a little bit. I think there's going to be more opportunities for him to kind of even – be the guy more uh, there, especially as good as he is defensively. The, the big caveat, of course, is can he stay healthy? The one guy I would say I wouldn't be shocked at is one Damian Lillard. We haven't had a, a – I almost were primed for like a Damian Lillard, like I'm just going to have an FU season. <laughs> and I think I think that might be it this year. He is plus 2,500 tied with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. That it really is an interesting pick, especially because they've put in Portland even more pressure on their backcourt. They don't have a backup point guard right now. I know Simons is going to play, but he if you're going to rely on him for playmaking for others, I don't think – I just don't think that's his game. And you have C.G. McCollum. You can stagger their minutes, but their minutes weren't rigidly staggered last year. And then you're looking at these lineups where – are you playing Simons with then one of Kent Bazemore or Rodney Hood in the backcourt? Uh, are we going back to point guard Mario Hazonia for a little bit? That Their backup point guard situation right now, it, it seems like they need one. And so if you're going to place sort of that burden upon him, it does pave the way for him to have a pretty incredible year. And then the narrative is just there with uh, Yusuf Nurkic not playing. And then the roster was relative to what Portland has done over the past few years. It, it was overturned. Yeah, so for me, I had Dame as like a top three candidate last year. You know, the way he played towards the end of the season, you know, we kind of forget them. They're so far up north. You know, we tend to lose sight of them for a while. But second half of the season, he was unreal. So I had him actually as like he was kind of a number three on the list of MVP candidates for me. Once Paul George started to fall off, I elevated Dame. The, The question you ask, you know, who's their backup point guard? I mean, that's a great question. I just feel like they haven't even really fully answered that in years. You know, I know they've had Shabazz Napier. They had uh, Seth Curry last year. I I just never really felt like they had a true backup point guard. So like you said, the minutes are going to be there. The narrative is going to be there. I think we're primed for uh, Dame to pretty much explode with some crazy-ass numbers. Would he be your actual pick, or do you have a different – just as of right now in the middle of July, this would be my MVP pick overall, regardless of odds. Um, I actually don't have a pick. I could see reasons why it would like, I could see AD winning it. Cause I could see LeBron really force feeding him and trying to, trying to get him that almost, you know, trying to push him there. I could see LeBron kind of having a vengeance season, sort of like all of you guys doubted me all summer. You know, and he I could see him just going like you guys were all wrong. I'm out to prove you wrong type of season. So I could see that like if I knew Kawhi was going to play 75 games, mm-hmm. I would pick Kawhi, but I just don't trust him. I think he's going to play somewhere around the 65 game mark. And I don't know if that's going to be enough to sway the voters to to give him the MVP. I think, you know, it, it, we're just in that weird spot right now where I can't call it now. I think my actual pick would be Stephen Curry, and that'll most definitely change by the time we get to training camps in September. Someone whose odds I'm actually just interested in as a dark horse candidate, though, Jimmy Butler, just because he's a he's a plus 6,600. And if you look at that Miami Heat team, I wouldn't say they're great. Acquiring him, I think, ends up being an uptick, but I don't know how huge. If, however, they just end up being much better than, than last season, and they don't trade for a different point guard, a.k.a. C, uh, CP3. I could just see a situation where he's playing out of his mind just despite what everyone else is saying about his decision to even play in Miami, and if he remains healthy, he's not someone who's going to be on, you know, maybe Miami forces him to be on rest nights, but he is someone I could see playing in 70-plus games pretty easily. It just wouldn't shock me if we're talking about him as far as dark horses go, uh, in that MVP ladder during the middle of the season. Yeah, I think the the so let me ask you this question: How many wins does Miami have to have, you know, for him to really get consideration for it? I just don't think they're going to have that. 
And I, and I think it helps them if they actually trade for CP kind of allows him to kind of pick his spots and, and have those moments. Do you think there's something to voters are looking at the raw win totals, or do you think that there would be something to maybe him bringing Miami to the third seed in the East, but the third seed in the East only wins, you know, let's say 50 games. Does that make up for the difference in raw win totals where you look at the Bucks might have close to 60 again, or, you know, the Blazers might be in the 55 territory, just other teams are going to be in the high 50s. Or do you think that the, those raw win totals are more important than than seeding? Well, it's funny because like in the Westbrook year, you know, that wasn't the case. Harden had a ton more wins. You know, I think we're, we're slowly getting back to that. I think it would depend on how big of a gap it is between three in the East to one in the East. You know, if it's 50, if it's 57, 56, 55 wins, I think that's kind of the the thing where you're like, okay, that that makes sense. He's there were just two wins out of being the one seed in the East. You know, then then you can start having that conversation. I think a lot of it goes to narrative too. You know, putting a a team on your back like we all knew Giannis had the narrative this year from the very beginning. It was like this team's blown up. It's all because of him. He's taking the leap. Blah blah blah. You know, I think. Same thing with Harden last year. You know, he finally had that narrative and push with it. You know, with Westbrook, besides the historical nature of it, it was also the narrative of Hart, uh, KD left. This is uh, West, uh, Russ's team, and he's carrying them to the playoffs. So I think it's a little bit of everything sort of plays into it. But I, it, it all depends on how the whole season plays out. But if you said it, if it's like 65 wins to get the one seed and they have 55 and they're the third seed, that's just more of a – a statement on on the East, and I think that would hurt his chances. The thing I do come back to a little bit too is though before he was injured in 2017, 2018, Minnesota was on pace for like 53 or 54 wins. He doesn't have Carl Anthony Towns in Miami. I realize that, but clearly Tyler Hero is a future Hall of Famer. So I just just his put, odds put him are... in now. Put him in now. <laughs> uh, he would be the name that was a dark horse that would stand out to me. But I think I just didn't want to pick Dame because I think that's a great pick by you. Uh, this question comes um, from Ant- Antona89 at Antona2389. Can centers like Robert Williams slash Enos Kanter take Al Horford's place in the Celtics system? No. <laughs> Sorry. It's just the, here's the thing about Al Horford is he's probably the most was the most underrated guy on that Celtic squad because he did all of the little things, you know, and, and was able to take a backseat when he needed to, was able to step up when they asked him to, was phenomenal defensively. It's just one of those things where Cantor isn't that guy defensively. He has a ton of heart, but he just doesn't have that, that mindset. Robert Williams, you know, is going into his second year. Like, it's not like he's ready for that kind of thing. So it's going to take a while. He still has a while to develop and we're, saying like you're asking these two guys to take over for Al Horford who I mean I you know he's probably one of the top 30 players in the league I don't I don't know um oh yeah you know for sure. he, 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 you're asking these guys to fill that void it's a it was a huge loss for the Celtics when it turned out that Horford wasn't coming back they were 7th uh per cleaning the glass in points allowed per 100 possessions last year do you think they're going to crack the top 15 this year when you look at that that big man rotation that Boston has? Canner, Robert Williams, uh, they have Daniel Tice. Uh, they have Semi there. They have Grant Williams. Maybe he could play some uh, – I mean, he might even be a stretch at the four for them. Uh, just their, their front court rotation is – It's I wouldn't say it's short on talent. It's definitely very thin on established talent. Yeah, I would say, you know, I still think they all have a pretty good defense just as long as Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown are healthy. I think, you know, Kemba's going to have to try defensively, which is something that's different than he's really had to do in Charlotte. Wow. What? What I'm team Kemba works hard on defense. Okay. Uh, (laughs) He's got to do, he's got, it's different in Charlotte when you have to, when you're playing a, in those games versus when you're playing in Boston and competing for actual playoff positions. Um, I know they just missed the playoffs this year, but I'm still not sure uh, I'm there yet with, with Kemba. I, I think he's an upgrade over Kyrie. Well, Kyrie was pretty good. He, he's a, he's a, I, well, yeah, lateral defensively, it might 
Kyrie played for a good part of last season and then of 2017, 2018, he played probably the best defense of his career and it kind of weaned off uh, yeah. the end of last year. Anyway, but, the, my, I guess the, the interior stuff is more concerning to me. Yeah, but I almost, I'm almost more concerned about defending the backcourts. Like that's kind of my bigger concern right now in the NBA, just because we don't have a ton of interior scores. It will be a problem for them when they play Philly for sure. Um, cause it feels like that's all Philly has, uh, oddly enough, it might be a problem when they play the Knicks. Cause that's all the Knicks have too. Um, just not as good as the guys at Philly. So, you know, I think it's just more of a question of, can you defend the perimeter and from there kind of stop those drives and, and, and make it difficult for teams to get into the paint. And that's, that's where you're going to have to have Marcus Smart kind of coming in and playing a big role defensively. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum has to improve defensively as well. You know, so it's 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 going to be those guys, I think, that are going to carry that team defensively one way or the other. If they're good, they're going to be in the, you know, the top half of the NBA. If they're not, they're going to be in the bottom half. And with Kemba, from going from Kyrie to Kemba, you are giving up two inches, which can matter in a bunch of different matchups. Absolutely. This next question comes from Ryan at Ryan's No Singer. Who is the best first round matchup for Sacramento since they will obviously have home court advantage in round one? I'm just going to shift his question a little bit and say, do you think the Kings are going to make the playoffs next year? I don't. Um, Who's let's look at it this way. Who's dropping out of the playoffs in the West right now? I think if we're assuming they get rid of Chris Paul, Oklahoma City is the safe bet. And then you immediately replace them with the Los Angeles Lakers. Right. And then that. Who are you taking? Right. Like, you know, just kind of looking at it, you can make an argument that the Spurs can possibly drop out. They're going to be younger. Hopefully DeJounte Murray is going to be better. I, I made that mistake last year. I'm not doing that again. Um, you know, I, so we're really saying, I look at everybody else, like Golden State's possible, depending on how that whole thing shakes up and, and if they stay healthy, you know, but that's really it. Like Denver is going to make the playoffs, Portland, Houston, Utah, the Clippers, you know, uh, those guys are all making it. Uh, so possibly three spots are going to be open. And in the West, you have, you know, the Lakers are much better. They're probably going to make the playoffs. I think Dallas is going to be better. New Orleans is going to be better. You know, Minnesota is still going to be in the mix to a degree. So, you know, that's a it's not a lock for me that Sacramento makes it. And we've seen this before from young teams where they make a leap one year and then they fall off the next year. I mean, this is what happened to Phoenix several years ago. Um, and we also have to add in that Sacramento had a coaching change. So now it's a different system and things like that, that they have to learn. So it's not like they have uh, continuity and that institutional knowledge where they can maybe get off to a hot start right away. So I'm just going to say it right now. I don't think Sacramento makes the playoffs. I think I'm kind of with you because I don't know which second team to sort of pull from the playoff picture. I there will be people who talk themselves into Portland. I made that mistake last year, I'm not making it again. And then I'm just stubborn when it comes to the Spurs. I'll believe they're not in the playoffs when I see it at this point. And then you went through everyone else is basically a lock. The Warriors I think I might be kind of stubborn on as of now, as of now as well. There definitely is a path to them missing the playoffs, but you have a core of Draymond Green, Stephen Curry, D'Angelo Russell, Kevon Looney's there. That's a real team and clay is probably going to come back let's say february or at least in time for the for the stretch run so i have a tough time removing them from the postseason picture yeah i mean they're they're not going to have home court or anything like that so i don't think so but they'll be in the mix for sure so you know it's it's going to be tough depending obviously on how injuries shake up and things hopefully we don't have a lot this year knock on wood uh but i just can't see them I just everyone every time somebody's like, oh, that's a playoff team. I'm like, cool. Who's going out? Like, it's just when you look at it that way, it's not, it's not as cut and dry. I I have a pro. I I struggle to cobble together strong feelings on what the Kings did in the off season. I am, however, despite their success last year, I don't know that I'm ready to say either that this is the ninth best team in the West right now. Uh, I would say they'll probably be better than Dallas. I think they'll be better than Phoenix. I think they'll be better than Memphis. Minnesota. I mean, everybody's better than Phoenix, so, <laughs> I mean. But, like, I'm not ready to say they're better than the Pelicans. I might not be ready to say that they're better than, they're probably better than the Timberwolves, but I wouldn't say without a doubt. It just feels like there's so much, there, there are other, te- there's at least one other team within the 
within the lottery mix from last year, other than the Lakers and Kings, who are just going to be hanging around. You know it's going to happen. Yeah, and, and you know, New Orleans has a good mix of young talent and vets, so, you know, you, you can kind of see that almost if they catch fire, that might be the team that sneaks into the playoffs. You know, it's going to be an interesting thing. And also, if Oklahoma City doesn't trade CP, they yeah. might be in the mix. You know, it's not like completely out of the, the realm of possibility. Uh, so yeah. I just think it's it's going to be a crazy, crazy, crazy run to the playoffs this year. And we're going to hear at nauseum, 1 through 16, the NBA should change it, you know, like basically from the beginning of the year to all the way to the end. We're just going to hear that almost every day. I agree with you, and they need to make that change at some point. That needs to happen. I have, I'm different. Really? I don't, I'm, if you're going to make that change, then you need to find a way to somehow even up the schedule. You need to lose a few games. Uh, I'm a big believer in shortening the season, so I think you need to cut 10 games out of the season because it gets harder then. Like, look how bad the East is. Some teams are going to just be able to rack up wins while the West is beating each other up all the time. So it's it, – it, 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 it almost kind of skews things a little bit. So um, I, and I just think you'll never be able to get, you know, the other conference to always agree to that. You know, that's seven or eight teams that, brought, that might not make the playoffs or not seven or eight. Sorry. That's a bit high. Uh, that's four or five teams that probably won't make the playoffs and in, in one conference when you do it that way, and you're not going to get enough votes. So I think we just have to stop with this, this dream scenario that we're going to get one through 16. Cause right now it's the West 10 years from now. It could be the Eastern conference that's stacked and all the Western conference owners are not going to want to go through one through 16. Yeah, that's a good point. It's also, it would be tough to, I don't know how you get them on board, the Eastern conference owners for that. What would the incentive be for that? Because a team like, you know, Miami or Charlotte would be a perfect example because of how hard they chased that eight seed over the past few years. Orlando, Detroit. How do you sell those owners on switching to that top 16 team format when in the past few years, including last season, had that been the case, their teams that were in the playoffs would not have been in the postseason. Right. And that's a moneymaker. Playoffs are a big moneymaker for teams, even if they just make the first round. So, you know, good luck with convincing teams like Orlando, Detroit, who who kind of just squeezed into the playoffs last year to, to agree to that vote. This next question comes from Zach Palfi. Uh, apologies if I mispronounce that, as apologies if I mispronounce everything else. At ZPALF6, who is the most efficient mid-range shooter in the NBA? Uh, I brought up a split for this, but I'm curious as to who you actually think the best mid-range shooter in the NBA is. Before we start that, Zach, just so you know, if he did mispronounce your, your name wrong, he also once mispronounced his own last name. Oh, so, never going to live that down. No, you're not, Dan Favalli. Favalli. Favalli, yeah. Favalli. <laughs> so, so don't feel bad, man. If, if he did mispronounce it, man, he also mispronounces his own name. So don't, don't trip too that's much. That's actually the perfect defense for me. When I butcher players' names, that's to be like, hey, I can't even pronounce my own. Yeah, and people will look at you like you're a psycho. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, so who's the best mid-range guy? Gosh, there's so many. Who do you have? I think the answer is kind of obvious in a not-so-obvious way. I I think it's Kevin Durant. Yeah, no, KD's good. You know, CP, when he's healthy, is really good. Uh, Like, he's he really is kind of the king of the mid-range when he's healthy. Um, CJ McCollum's there too, probably. CJ's in there for sure. Um, you know, with KD, it's just not fair with KD because he's seven feet. So it's like he, he just gets his shot off wherever he wants. And so, you know, he is probably the best mid range guy. I bet if you looked at the numbers, I know you pulled up a split. You said he's, his numbers are probably out of this world. Um, but in terms of just like smaller guards, because that's where I tend to think the mid range game. And I think, you know, Chris Paul, I think CJ McCollum, those guys are, their mid-range game is is off the charts. Yeah, so among the 112 players to take at least 100 mid-range shots last year, Kevin Durant led them all with a 55.1% clip. What I found interesting is he did so while taking the third most mid-range attempts in the <laughs> NBA. 
461. So this wasn't like a, you know, TJ McConnell shows up third in this split, but he only had 133 attempts. Quinn Cook is fourth, only 105 attempts. But KD attempted 461 mid-range jumpers and, and hit them at a 55.1% clip. And he wouldn't have been the name I went to, and you're right, because we normally think of those guards. But as soon as the split came up, you know, the other, you know, the other places, yeah, there's the baseball. I was like, yeah, it's him. Like, that's just sort of a, like, duh. But when you're looking at smaller guards, I think, you know, the Chris Paul, CJ McCall, maybe even Kyrie Irving's in there a little bit. JJ Reddick's been obscene from that range over the past two seasons as well. Yeah. You know, the, the guy like all time in history who I feel like is probably the best I've ever seen is Steve Nash at that. Like his him in the mid range was just the problem because he'd come off these pick and rolls and he'd dime people so much, you know teams would start going at the roller so much he'd come off and pull up and hit the the mid range shot over and over and over again it would just sort of kill you, uh, and that's before you know he, Steve Nash we really kind of missed out if he was playing in this era he might have been another level player with with his ability to shoot the three ball as well, um, but him in the mid range was deadly, even. Uh- Kawhi sort of springs to mind a little bit too. Not the smaller guard, obviously, but that's just a name when you look at his game and just these tough pull-up twos that he takes and he hits them at at an above-average clip. He's he's just absolutely absurd as well. Yeah, and I think you know the mid-range is is alive and well. You know, it's something that's more prominent in the playoffs than than in the regular season. But I think that's something that uh, a lot of teams probably should start focusing a little more on. I know we the analytics and everything behind it. But at a certain point, you got to look at it and going like, these are the shots you got to hit sometimes to be able to get the shots you want to take. So uh, that's sort of the the situation we're in. Um, and that's why it's valuable. That's why we're seeing all these top guys being able to knock down those shots. That's the whole in Harden's game that's always going to stop me from saying he's the best offensive player out there. I think we had a conversation about this too on an earlier podcast where it's it's the type of mid-range shots that you know you don't want catch and shoot opportunities really for mid-range and who who designs their offense around that right now and there right. are certain players that you need to take those shots and so when people say the mid-range is dead they're just on an extremist side there's there's definitely there's there's caveats there and 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 you know that's some of the stuff that's where JJ Reddick gets some of his shots off you know coming off of pin downs you know sometimes he doesn't get out to the three and he he kind of curls into that you know, mid-range elbow jumper for the for the shot. So, you know, you, you kind of can get it that way. But yeah, you're right. I think it's more it's more something off the dribble, you know, and you know, especially point guards who use pick and rolls a ton. Like I think it's just something you got to be able to do that and have that threat. And we talked and like we talked about before, like with Harden, I'm like, once he once he passes inside the three point line, man, you can just back all the way off and meet him at the at the, at the three point at the rim. Sorry. Harry's Razors is helping Blue Wire listeners with a better shaving experience. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Enough with the cheap razors. Go try Harry's now. It's just $3 for our loyal listeners. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your official trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure to go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. This question comes from Craig Kirkpatrick, and I, I don't mean to laugh, but at NC Kirkpatrick, how bad will the Charlotte Hornets be this season? They will be quite terrible. Um, like this is this is the problem with Charlotte. Like I like James Borrego. I've I actually he's the guy that hired me in San Antonio to be a assistant video guy. So you know him and I go way back, and I owe him a ton. But that organization is poorly run. Like. If you weren't willing to give Kemba Walker the max, you you had to have had you had to trade him. Right. You had you had to tra- and I don't even care that the All-Star game was in Charlotte and you needed to have a guy or whatever. 
Like you had to trade him. You lost him. You you flipped him for Terry Rozier. I mean, you could have gotten so much more in the regular season for him. You know, teams that are trying to make a push and trying to make a run. You know, you could have gotten assets for him. And just the fact that they didn't do that, it's I mean, they're just really a it, 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 it abysmally run organization. And I know they kind of got a new GM and Mitch Kupchak and new front office last year. And they're, they're figuring all this out. But like when you just looking at it at face value and it's just like, come on guys, like, what are we doing? I'm, I'm sorry, dude, they're going to be terrible. That was, and people pointed out to me when I was talking about this on Twitter at the time, they couldn't have known that Kemba Walker was going to make an all NBA team be eligible for the Supermax, And it doesn't matter. One, you knew that the eligibility was in play years in advance. Like, this is two years ago at the trade deadline, at the, the 2018 trade deadline. You knew that was a possibility. And it's not about the Supermax. If you weren't even willing to give him the regular max, then you needed to trade him. They, like, to forget the Supermax. He he would have signed for less than the Supermax. That's, there's no doubt in my mind. But if you weren't even willing to pay him the regular max, you should have moved him. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. It's just a bad... Altogether, just just poor decision making on there. And if it was literally just so that we could have Kemba Walker for the All Star game and then make a playoff push, like I know that's a lot. Of, like I said, it's a lot of money for these teams to to make. But now you've literally just crushed your organization right now. And, and you didn't make the playoffs gonna, anyway. <laughs> yeah, you didn't make the playoffs, and now you're not even going to sniff it. Um, you know, for the next like three to four years, there. Offensive rating without Walker last year plummeted by 9.2 points per 100 possessions, and Jeremy Lamb was on the court for a boatload of those minutes. And now you've gone to Terry Rozier, whose 2017-2018 late season surge has been, in my opinion, overly romanticized. Uh, He was fine, he wasn't great, and Boston leaned more on Tatum and Brown when things mattered most than they did on Rozier without Irving and, and Gordon Hayward. I think there's a chance that Charlotte ends up being in the conversation for a bottom three team in the league next year. I don't know that they're going to be worse than the Knicks, uh, but if you go down the list, is there another team that you could say for sure they're going to be better than? People might want to make jokes about the Suns, but Phoenix has some talent on that roster. Maybe the Cavs, but they still have Kevin Love. Chicago got better. Atlanta got a lot better. I don't unless OKC really blows it up and gets rid of Gallo and CP3. I don't know how you pick them. I honestly, I have them as the worst team. I think the Knicks at least have some talent uh, and and have some guys. And you know, Julius Randle can still put up big numbers and things like that. I'm, listen, I'm not saying the Knicks are going to be good either, but they're going to be better than Charlotte. I, I'm very curious if Charlotte's going to win more than 15 games. <sighs> Back to the dark ages there. Um, this question comes from D Lang at Darren Lang seventeen. Who has the best duo in the NBA this season? This is a fun question because it feels like we've gone away from the you got to have three and everybody just paired up. Um, and there's so many duos. Uh, I think if if healthy, I think it's going to be a lot of fun watching Kawhi and Paul George. Uh, I, for me, it's going to be fun cause I'm a nerd and I like defense. So, you know, it's going to be fun watching these guys defensively work together and then get going on the offensive end and seeing how that works and, you know, how George plays off of Kawhi and, and sort of what doc gets to kind of play with in, in all his toys now. So I think that's a really fun one. I think the, I'm very excited for the LeBron James, Anthony Davis pick and roll. I don't know about you, but that's going to be something that's going to be enjoyable to watch so um there's just so many duos now i don't know which one to pick but it also feels like every other duo aside from the two you just named are on a separate lower tier maybe you can pick two guys from philly simmons and Embiid, or Embiid and horford depending on how you want to go there but who else really is going to be on the same level as the two you just named and i can't the only the only reason why i i don't have them up above that is LeBron's age, 80s injury history, and the same thing with Paul George and Kawhi in terms of their injury history. Like Paul George may not even be ready for training camp. So, you know, there's that's why I don't have them as a separate tier. If they were all healthy or if I felt more comfortable about it, 
then I'd go for it. But just because that, but otherwise you're right. Fully healthy. Yeah. I think I'm most excited for the Paul George Kawhi Leonard one. Um, and then LeBron AD, again, as you said, there's that natural pull. I'm also going to be fascinated almost in, in a way where maybe I want to see if it implodes is the Russell Westbrook, James Harden pairing. If that ends up working out, that's a masterful job then by Houston. I just don't, you know, I don't know. We've talked, we talked about this on a separate pod. I just, I'm curious to see how they even begin to try making it work. Is it taking the ball out of our Harden's hands more? Is it just pushing the pace in general to get Russ going downhill more? I, I'm going to be mega intrigued to see how they handle this. That's the most interesting one. I don't know if that's the best one, right? Like that's the no, one. That's not in the conversation at. for the best. I think I'd probably name. I, I'm. Try, I don't want to be like hyperbolic. I'd probably name between seven and ten more duos that are better than them right now. Well, because we got to see this. Like we got to right. watch how this this develops. Like you said, there's a lot of question marks with that. I think, you know, after our initial reaction, I think kind of looking at it, I think there's ways it can work, but that's going to require a lot of compromise from both guys to kind of be willing to change i think you might get russ you willing to change a little bit more just because he's coming into a new situation so he can sort of try to reinvent himself to a degree but i don't trust harden to change his ways all that much i don't i'm very nervous in that scenario to see how it works out there's there are clear paths where i'm like well if they do this and this and if this guy accepts that you know they'll this will be potentially great um but that's a lot of ifs and that's what makes me nervous gonna get to a couple of fun ones here just to keep it lighthearted. jacob born friend of the pod at jacob w born do you think any nba players have live laugh love signs in their homes oh for sure i if i even had to bet i would bet jj reddick has one <laughs> and that's just purely guessing but I, I i'd be willing to bet he has one I wonder who else who who would you think would have one? I feel like LeBron might have one. Maybe oh, he just yeah. has one that says Taco Tuesday, but I feel like he might have one. I mean he has the Taco Tuesday shirt, the ultimate dad shirt. Uh clearly uh LeBron is crafting dad style for the next 10, 15 years. We're gonna start seeing all these kinds you, of stuff. Did you see that uh video of, of him at Taco Tuesday this past Tuesday with Anthony Davis? Yes, and Anthony Davis needs to work on his Taco Tuesdays. Right, he looked, I don't know, he looked like he might have been being held captive there a little bit. That's all I'm going to say. No, I mean, you know what it is, and and this is going to sound bad, but it's, you know, he's just following LeBron's lead. Like, it's almost like a puppy dog. It's. Do you guys remember the uh, Warner Brothers, it was the Looney Tunes or whatever, where there was the big dog spike? Um, I might be aging myself. I don't even know if people watch these things anymore. And then there was like this little dog that would always kind of jump around going like, what are we going to do today, Spike? What are we going to do today, Spike? You know, I almost feel like that's where we're at right now with LeBron and AD. And we see this whenever these guys kind of pair up. They all tend to hang out all the time. I mean, James Harden and Chris Paul, that first that summer where they they finally paired up, they were around each other all the time. You couldn't separate the two. They played together in the Drew League like they were all over the place. So I kind of feel like that's what we're seeing with LeBron and AD. And it's funny because somebody had said, you know, that there's no real clear leadership within the Lakers to them. And I'm like, no, it's pretty obvious. It's LeBron. Like LeBron's the leader, and AD has pretty much said as much as like he needs to learn from LeBron, and that's kind of uh, that. But it was funny to watch him there at Taco Tuesday. He's just got to do a better job, man. You got to be ready, man. When LeBron turns that camera on you for Instagram, you got to be ready with Taco Tuesday. You're in LA now, man. Be ready. Do you think there's something to uh, it, it being harder to maybe build that long-term chemistry when? Players like Anthony Davis and LeBron James are at such different points in their lives. I thought that was always an undersold. People talked about it when he went to LA because he was playing with a bunch of, you know, they're sophomores and third year guys. But I always thought that was an undersold part between him and Kyrie Irving. And now, you know, LeBron is 34, going on 35. Anthony Davis is 26. It's just, is, does that make it at all harder? That gap in almost generation? It does. To a degree, but it all depends on the relationship between the, the the two guys and how do they sort of 
develop that. I mean, the fact that Davis said, I have to learn from LeBron kind of says a lot. You know, you're, you're not wrong, though. I thought that was our biggest problem with the Clippers between Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. You know, these two guys were basically on their their rookie deals. They're still incredibly young and and figuring out who they are in the NBA, whereas Chris Paul already knows who he is. And, you know, he knows he needs to win. So it was almost like a, a separate timeline. I think Davis, to a degree, also knows who he is at this point. So now that he kind of has that understanding, I think it's easier in that regard. But you're definitely right. That definitely plays a role more often than not. And people don't really realize it or, or talk about it because it's just hard to sort of put it together, you know. And I, I think that's the challenge we have. In, in terms of leadership, you know, and, and Kyrie tried to bring that leadership to Boston, but those young kids weren't feeling it. This next question comes from Thomas Eisenhower. He asks, how many, how many threes will Robin Lopez hit this season? For background many- on this, Robin Lopez did not hit his first three-pointer in an NBA game until 2017-2018. He hit four that year, and he was 7 of 31 last year. Has 11 career three-point makes in the regular season over the course of his what has he been leading now 11 years um i don't know it isn't it is an interesting it's like it's sort of a joke question but it's not because of how the bucks play and maybe they're gonna want to see if they can test his range man he's not hitting more than 10 i think that's uh, that would be my pick but i actually think it's like sort of a low key, interesting question. It's a fun one. Um, Cause you're right. Cause with the way the bucks play, but he's not, they're not letting him take those shots. <laughs> this, I don't buy it. This I, I'm with you generally, but it'd be really funny if they're like, well, you know, Brooke hits them. So we're just going to let Robin Lopez take them for a little, just bit. assume that because the brother can make it. <laughs> the other one can. Yeah. That's, I think that's what Look, they're twins. They, they share, they're identical twins. They they share the the identical DNA strands or whatever. Or uh, I think you should try it. That's my that's my official analysis on this. But I do think this is going to be the most fun the the, the team's going to have is these two guys because I really do find Robin Lopez pretty fun. Um, <clears throat> oh wow, my voice went weird. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting. Uh, uh, interesting to see the two of those guys kind of play together and, and, and have fun. It's, 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 a, it's a fun environment, and I think it'll be good for the locker room. But on the court, I'm not expecting much. This feels like a Mo question. I am going to change it a little bit because it seems a little too technical. Um, Jeremy Tanner Allen at Jeremy T underscore Allen. Top 10 screen assisters that are not centers. So the question I just want to ask is who, do you, who are some of the best screen setters in the NBA who are not big men? Um, Steph Curry, I think is the best screener almost in the league. Um, you know, he does a good job actually making contact with guys and, you know, because he demands so much attention, it it actually opens everything else up (laughs) for the ball handler. Like guys literally (laughs) forget guarding the ball and, and, and want to guard Steph or, you know, whoever's coming off the pin downs. I think Curry's screening is, is huge. I think he's really great at it. Um, that's the thing. It's a skill that a lot of guards haven't really embraced all that well. Um, so we don't have a ton. Um, just off the top of my head, I can't even think of any really coming to mind. CP does a decent job of it. Mostly it's just to try to get a switch um, that we've seen the past two years. So, you know, it's not a uh, – it, it doesn't really develop into much more of an action than like can we get the switch and get my guy on the hard and, and, and let him cook. So, um I, I can't think of anybody else that comes to mind. I guess this might, he might, maybe he's considered a big PJ Tucker is someone that I've always thought of. Um, I feel like the Morris brothers have always been pretty good at it. Well, I just assumed they were big. So yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Cause then you're getting into the Giannis Ben Simmons territory. And those are definitely, those are definitely big. If you're looking at, if we were went super technical and just said, who were the top, uh, which guards generated the most screen assists per game last year? Ben Simmons was one. Stephen Curry was two. Redick was three. So you name so you had him in there. Jamal Murray was four. Lonzo Ball was five. Iguodala was six. Sean Livingston was seven. 
Drew Holiday was eight, Vince Carter was nine, and Rondo, Caruso, and Kyle Lowry were tied for 10th. I mean, it makes sense that some of these guys are are sharpshooters, like J.J. Redick, for example. Like, you know, one of the old adages is if you set a good screen, you're the one that's going to be open. So a lot of that kind of makes sense. Um, <clears throat> you know, Simmons does a good job of dribbling into like a DHO. So that that leads into it. I'm assuming they're they're qualifying that as a screen assist. Um, P.J. Tucker does one of my favorite things is he does the pin and screen uh, really well. I know we we're talking guards, but you had mentioned Tucker and that that brought that into my mind, which is like he basically pins the help into the paint so that they can you can find the guy for a corner three. Um, you know, this is uh, it's it's something to keep an eye on. I think the uh, I think we'll see more and more guards try to mimic it. You know, I'd like to see Trey Young set a few screens. You know, I think that will make things a little easier for him and and get him off the ball. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll see a little bit more. But it's, you know, to me, Steph's number one. I, I don't count Simmons as a guard. So no, Steph's it's just Giannis is Giannis is basically a big, even though he, I kind of feel like he's a point forward or a wing. So it's and a lot of it is team situation as well. It yes, there's there's sharpshooters, but you know having that threat helps. But then if you just have a point where teams have to play more conservative pick and roll against you, um, and or and you're able to just set these screens and you have that talent around you, I feel like that's just inherently easier than to generate assists off of screen assists off of. Yeah, and I think the, a lot of these guys are are getting screen assists also off of pin downs, like Livingston and Iguodala have probably two of the two three of the best shooters coming off their screens all the time in KD, Clay and Steph. So you know, it's it's almost easy for them to rack up those assists. We'll go with final two questions here. This one comes from Ian at ENT Pierce One. Do you expect to see increases or decreases in efficiency from Westbrook and Harden individually while playing on the court together? That's interesting. I expect Can Russell so here's Westbrook the get I, much worse, I think is the real question here. Right. So this is the way I look at it. I think on the ball, if Westbrook's on the ball, I think he's going to really enjoy playing with this many shooters now. Like he's never really had this for this long of a time. I think there might have been a stretch for a week or two in OKC where they felt like they had that. But, you know, he's never really had the ball and then basically three shooters and a big man who rolls to the rim. I think you'll we'll see improvements for him there. I won't be surprised if we see it fall for Harden because now with Westbrook on the court, you know, that's two non-shooters on the floor for Harden where he's used to all the spacing with three. Um, it's actually some stuff I'm trying to work on. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to just tweet out some videos or, or write about it for an article or whatnot, but uh, there is some stuff where I think it's going to be interesting because Harden's now going to be playing with less space whereas Westbrook will probably be playing with more space when they're both on the floor together. The only way I feel like it could go up for Harden is if he actually is maybe displaced from the ball more and you see him take maybe more catch-and-shoot threes and make more beelines to the basket. I mean, under 4% of his looks last year came as catch-and-shoot threes. Just the level of difficulty on his shots was bonkers. And so... If playing off the ball a little bit more and letting Westbrook be Westbrook for certain stretches and collapsing defenses, maybe that gives him some more open spot-up jumpers. That, I would think, might help his efficiency. I just don't buy into the notion that we're going to see noticeable, appreciable changes to his game. Yeah, and the the thing, too, for me, really where Harden would have to change his game more is is he's got to work off the ball. Can't just go stand in the corner. Can't just go hang out when you don't have the ball. Um, so I think that's that's the area where he's got to really kind of make a change. And, and that's my biggest question mark. Is he going to do that? This is actually my favorite question that came in just a couple minutes ago. So we're both going in as blind as possible to it. This comes from uh, Gehrig at Gehrig uh, Kunz uh, at G-E-H-R-I-G-K-U-N-Z. Which team's bench had the biggest offseason improvement? Whew, good question. Um, see, I still think the Clippers still have the best bench in the league. They just improved their starting lineup <laughs> right. by, a metric, by a metric ton. So I'm trying to think who kind of shored up their bench. Um, man, I'm, 
These are some good questions. You guys got me stumped. Uh, this was what, like, what, I, I don't, I'm still trying to rack my brain to see sort of like who I, I don't, I'm trying, like, I don't know which team springs to mind here. It's not, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think Brooklyn's a lot deeper. Um, obviously just adding Kyrie, but they, you know, bringing in, uh, I think Garrett Temple is going to be a good fit for them. I think they've kind of, ju- they just have a bunch of guys. I think the Pelicans have a ton of good players oh, yeah, up and an down. Obvious one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you know, the, the hard thing about this question, at least asking it right now is I still don't even know where everybody fully is yet. <laughs> right. Cause you could make a case for the Grizzlies. Especially if they're not going to move Crowder or Andre Gadala. You know, now you have look at the guys who would be projected at coming off the bench. They probably wouldn't start Iggy. So you have Jay Crowder and Iggy and Tyus Jones coming off your bench, maybe Brandon Clark coming off your bench, uh, with, you know, Miles Plumley. Uh, their bench could be interesting. But I'm assuming they'll move or buy out Igadala. Even without him though, that's a team that got deeper. The Lakers, I think, just when you look at what they had last season. Um, to have yeah. Quinn Cook, to have Avery Bradley, Troy Daniels can shoot. Maybe Talon Horton Tucker plays a little bit of a role. You have Jared Dudley. That's a huge bench piece. Bench piece. Now you're in a situation where Demarcus Cousins is probably going to start because AD wants to play the four, and so Javale McGee, uh, he's coming off your bench again. Or there might be points where Demarcus Cousins is coming off your bench, and so they might be a candidate for that. Yeah, I think the Lakers did a really good job this off season. Uh, after not getting Kawhi, kind of filling out their roster, I, I really hope Cousins comes off the bench. I think that's really where his career is going, and I think he could be a beast at it. I think he could kind of be a better Montrez Harrell kind of thing, where he just feasts on the second unit of other teams. Uh, whether he's willing to do that and whether the Lakers do, that's a whole different story. But I think that's something that they got to look at and, and investigate. I think the. Uh, I think these are the things they need to keep an eye on, um, you know, and, and, and when I say it, like, I almost need another month to just kind of look at rosters and figure out like, oh, the, you, you guys got him. Oh, OK, cool. <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of things happen so quickly in a span of a week. I wasn't able to keep up. Yeah, they're still going through and having to, like, keep track of, like, the roster stuff is just absolutely difficult this time of year and even a couple other teams i know no one's really high on what phoenix did but now you have ty jerome tyler johnson kelly Oubre jr frank kaminsky and aaron baines projected to come off your bench that's not a bad backup at every position i still am trying to work through how i feel about what sacramento did this offseason but Corey joseph is a clear upgrade in the backup point guard spot at least as a defender um now you have when you're looking at the wing options, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich probably coming back off the bench again after Trevor Ariza gets signed. You still have Bielitsa. Um, are both Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles coming off the bench? Is, is Harrison Barnes coming off the bench? You're going to have Rachon Holmes coming off the bench. Maybe you end up having Deadman coming off the bench. It, based on how you go with the center rotation, they might be a little bit. They're not a little bit. They're definitely deeper than they were last year, but that might be a candidate. There were some teams that did um, – some really nice work. I might even be inclined to the Pelicans seem just a little too obvious and so reliant right. on these younger guys. I might be inclined to actually go with the Lakers. They might. I mean, they they might have done the best job. Sort of. I mean, they've improved their roster up and down. Like they added shooting, they added defense, all the things they should have done last year, but they didn't. Um, you know, this is they've they've recovered well from that. So I think that's kind of they're in a good spot. Uh, I. They probably improved their bench the best. I still think the Clippers have the best bench in the league. Yeah, I mean, and they had it was the Clippers didn't have to give up too much. They gave up a ton of future assets, but they didn't give up much in the way of immediate assets to get the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard pairing. Gallinari and Gilgis Alexander, okay, but they also have Ronnie Magruder coming off the bench now. Can actually play for them. Mo Harkless was a nice pickup that they ended up getting a, a first and, rounder and, for as well. And they might be able, and they're trying to flip Mo Harkless into. Andre Iguodala, which is even another upgrade. Like, you know, so there's, there's, there's still work to be done. That has been the latest Hardwood Knox mailbag, everybody. Thank you for sticking with us. I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the pod, but if you have not subscribed to us yet, please change that. Go to iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you're consuming your podcast, but iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you are out there. 
that you are listening, and Mo, Andy, and myself are not yelling into the great void. It takes 10 to 15 seconds. Search Hardwood Knox. Five-star ratings only. If you have feedback or review, we love to read those, so keep those comments coming. Until next time, though, we leave you with a shout-out to the legendary future MVP, Kyle Anderson, and to the future Hall of Famer, Jalen Brunson. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.